0: Please take your Bibles tonight to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we will look at this verse here. First, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and John, 1 John chapter 1, and Psalm 51. 2 Samuel 12, 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. What a blessed response to confessing of sin. The Lord also hath put away thy sin. But I want you to see what David said here. I have sinned against the Lord. What's missing from this passage is the the things that we typically would look for uh, visible signs of repentance. We all do this to some degree or the other. It's a natural human thing. We say when someone gets saved, and, and, and she prayed, and when she prayed, she was crying. And, and it really seems that she wanted to get saved. And, and we thank God for that. It can be a visible, uh, it can be a sign of the inward working, It gives us the satisfaction of knowing that the Lord is working in someone's heart. But David here does not name his sin explicitly. He doesn't express any emotion that we can see. He doesn't weep or cry. Uh, He doesn't walk down an aisle. He doesn't go to the altar. He simply says, I have sinned against the Lord. And the Lord is the one who knows whether or not David meant what he said when he said, I have sinned against the Lord. We would like to think that we know. We don't know. But simply speaking, a man is confronted here with his iniquity. He confesses to God in front of Nathan that he's guilty, and that's enough. That's how simple God makes it. After all of the cloak and dagger maneuvers that David took after all of the insidious, nasty things that David did, when he's confronted with his sin, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And the Lord forgave him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. I want you to look at verse 8 and verse 10 before we look at verse 9. If we say that we have no sin, 1 John 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have, that's present tense, the present condition of our heart. If we say that right now, I have no sin, that's what David's been saying for months. I'm not a sinner. I haven't done anything wrong. You say, well, he probably felt it in his heart and he probably did, but the only Real indication that we have that David was ready to say that I have sinned is when he was confronted with his sin. He was living in a life of deception. I have no sin. Look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, this is looking back to when we fell, whenever that was, whatever has transpired since then and saying, I didn't do anything wrong. That was how David lived for almost a year. I have not sinned. But now look in verse nine. If we confess our sins, our past, our present tense, here the Holy Ghost says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You've got to, you've got to confess them. If you don't confess your sins, God is not going to cleanse and uh, and forgive your sins. Now, we understand this is referring to not our standing with God as a son of God. We talked about it this morning, being in Christ and Christ in me, the hope of glory. As far as God's concerned, I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which means I have never sinned. As far as my new nature is concerned... The new nature of God that's in me cannot sin. And yet I have this old nature, and it's more than capable of sinning. This is very important for you to understand. You're saved not because of your righteousness, because of your sinlessness. You're saved because of Christ's righteousness and sinlessness. So God will never put you in hell. But you can live in this world as a sinless son of God... Spiritually speaking, because of the righteousness, the imputed righteousness. He put righteousness in my account that I never earned. And it's His righteousness. Because of that, I will live forever. But in my day-to-day walk with God, I am capable of sinning. So why should I confess my sins if He's already forgiven all my sins? Well, here's the thing. God knows the past from the present. He knows all the sins I ever would commit, and His blood is more than capable of forgiving all of those sins. But I don't know what sin I'm going to commit this week. I have not yet been confronted with that sin. And so for me to say, when I sin, oh, it's no big deal. It's all under the blood. And truly, it is under the blood. I I don't have to confess. If I commit a sin this week and I die before I confess it, I am not in danger of going to hell. That's something very important for you to remember. But if I commit that sin and I die, between that sin and my death, I will live a life of disconnection from God. I will live a life of guilt and fear, and I will run from God. Why? My old nature is more than capable of sinning, and it does on a regular basis. So that's why I need to confess my sin and ask for forgiveness. The forgiveness is not earned by my confession. Sometimes the devil will tell you, well, you, you, you need to really read your Bible today because you owe God. Well, I understand that concept as because we all feel that guilt. Man, I did something. I need to really make it up to the ones that I love. I need to, well... I I think that's a good attitude in some ways that we feel guilty for what we've done, but we need to be careful. We don't ever, we never actually earn the forgiveness of God. In this case with David, David did not earn forgiveness. What did he do but earn judgment? But he said, I have sinned, and God said, I have put away your sin. That's the miracle of God. That's the, the faithful and just God. David has not been faithful and just. But God is. And David's failures don't change the the character, the nature of God. Aren't you glad of that? That your failures and mine do not change who God is. God is a God of grace and mercy, even after such wicked sin that he's committed. And And how did he cleanse David from unrighteousness? He did that for David in an instant. God is faithful and just. Now, let's take our Bibles to Psalm 51, and we'll see some proper attitudes that we ought to have towards sin. Psalm 51. You know, as I've studied this, and as we've gone through this over several weeks, there are times when I've felt, I just get the lecture over, and let's get on to something else. Did you ever feel that way when you were a young person? I'd rather you spank me and let me go, dad, mom, than, than lecture me. I don't want to have to listen to it. You know what the lecture is about? The lecture is about changing the way that you think. The punishment is there because of what you did. It's there. Not not We're, we're not necessarily trying to fix it all in the future. We're punishing you for what you did in the past. Now, some parents think, I'm going to, I'm going to stock up. I'm going to spank you ahead of time. You know, I heard of a family with a bunch of kids, and they'd line them up in the morning and spank them all just because of what they were probably going to do later in the day. Well, I'm glad the Lord doesn't do that to us. Uh, we, we are not punished. The punishment, the, the retribution or the, the consequences of our sin are not to teach us what we should do. They're to teach us what we should not have done. And, and, and the lecture is to prevent us from, from, what, from doing that again. okay? So that's what, what the, this whole series has been about. Not, you're such a wicked person, why did you do that? Well, yes, but, but you need to listen to, to who God is, and you need to adjust how you think according to how God thinks. And hopefully, it will result, maybe not in being sinless, but hopefully it results in you sinning less. Now, look what he says in Psalm 51. Do you have a a heading there before verse 1? I have a heading. It says, to the chief musician. What what David is about to say is going to be, be for use in public worship. He gives it to the music director. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him, after he had gone in to Bathsheba. He wrote a song about this. He wrote a song about his confession that we just read in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. He wrote a song about it. Now, you know, a lot of times, and maybe it's for good reason, when someone sins, we, we, we say, Conf- confess it to the extent that it is known. Well, the only problem with that is you really don't know to what extent it is known. And if you try to say, and I'm not suggesting that you stand up in front of the church and tell them all of the secret sins that you have, but but I want you to think the opposite is dangerous as well. The opposite of, of everyone knowing is no one knowing about it. David as the king did some things behind closed doors. He did some things through secret communications that no one necessarily had to know other than Joab, but sin has a way of leaking out, and you don't think anyone's bothered by it. The better question to ask is not, should I tell everyone, but should I, but should I be willing, am I willing to tell everyone what I did? Well, I don't think people need to know. Well, maybe not, but what... What's keeping you from wanting people to know? Would it help you to stand up next Sunday and say, here's what I did this week? Oh, we're not talking about sins in the future. Let's talk about sins in the past. Would it help you to stand up tonight and say to everyone, this is what I did? Well, I don't think think, we're, we're supposed to confess our sins before. I understand that. What I'm asking you is, would you be willing for other people to know what you did? I'm not suggesting that you do it. I'm saying there's something in our hearts that says, Nay, nobody's business what I did. And if we're not careful, that little something is nothing more than pride. It's self-righteousness. Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now in the presence of the elders, in the, in the presence of God's people. He didn't want to go before God's people and say, I have sinned. He wanted to go before God's people and worship with everybody in Israel. Just say it privately to, to, to Samuel, I sinned. Listen, this is, this is something in Baptist circles that's, that's it's not very common. To hear people admit that they are guilty of sin. And partly it's true. There's only one mediator between God and men. We know that that's true. And so in, in some ways it's good for us, but if we're not careful, we hide it and we think God is somehow this video game that we can continue to reset and reset and reset. And I know I failed that level, and I know I never, I keep messing up on that level, but I just reset and everything. It's like it never happened. Your sin happened to Christ. It is a serious thing. We live in a world in which nothing is sin. Except saying that something could be a sin—that's a sin. We, we've got to remember if it would if it would embarrass you for someone else to hear it. That gives just a little picture of how God feels about your sin. It really bothers Him. It really does. Now look what He says to the chief musician. So there's no more secrecy. There's no more cover-up. He, he, he's going to talk here about the testimony of the mercy of God in this psalm, but, but he pulls back the curtain and lets everyone see his sin. In verse 1, he says, my transgressions at the very end. Verse 2, at the end, my sin. Verse 3, at the end, my sin. Verse 4, at the beginning, I sinned. David is showing us the proper attitude towards sin. Now, here, here are the attitudes. Here are four attitudes. We'll look at just verses 1 to 4. Four attitudes that we ought to have towards sin. Look at verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. David said, I'm a transgressor, standing in the presence of the most holy God, Justice, law, and wrath, if God exercises though those, and he is well within his rights to do so, if he exercises justice, law, I'm done. It's over for me. I will be destroyed. So what does he do? He pleads for God's mercy and God's loving kindness. He's begging for it. He's begging for God to, to show, why? Because it's his only hope. That's the proper attitude Number one, proper attitude towards sin. My only hope is the mercy of God. Not, my only hope is that no one finds out. My only hope in being forgiven of sin is the mercy of God. Now we understand this. We, we collapse the entire drama into one thing. Just ask Jesus to forgive you. But, but do you, do you realize why God can forgive you and I? Because Jesus Christ suffered the most horrible death possible on the cross because of those sins. So I can look at God and say, God, please forgive me. And I know that He will, but why will He? He will forgive me because instead of judging me for my sin, He shows mercy on my sin. You know, you ever run into a uh, a situation, or hopefully you haven't been involved in, it, where there's adultery in uh, between a uh, in a marriage. Let's say one or the other, the husband or the wife has committed adultery, had an affair, and one is faithful, consistent, loyal, true fidelity to the other spouse, but this spouse says, "No, I'd rather have someone else." And they go, and then they come back, and it's interesting to watch how. A spouse who has committed adultery, if they are not truly repentant, they will cover and cover and cover. But a spouse who is truly repentant will come back and say, I'm wrong. I have no reason for for you to do anything other than judge me and, and completely get rid of me if you wanted to. I'm only begging for mercy. You see, the reason why we don't beg for mercy is because We think that there's something between, like, there's certain things that you don't even need the mercy of God for. Why? Because we all do it. Am I right? Am I right? Right? Am I right? We all do it. So it's not really bad if everybody does it. That shows what you think about sin. And it really shows what you think about God. Because it was God's idea that something was a sin, not yours. The hardest thing we have to do as believers living in 21st century America is lining up our hearts and perspectives on sin with what God says about sin. Not with what culture says about sin. Not with what church culture says about sin. What God says about sin. By the way, your heart lining up with God's. Not becoming God, looking at everybody else's sins. You know, if you've got a lot of time to judge other Christians, you don't understand the character and nature of God. If your whole idea is, well, uh, you know, I'm okay because I'm not doing what they're doing, then you're really not looking upward, you're looking around. The attitude number one is this. My only hope is the mercy of God. And if God doesn't show me mercy, you say, well, I'm saved eternally. Yeah, but isn't it true that in some cases the Lord said that people's lives were cut short as believers because of their hardness of their heart towards God? Isn't it true that in some cases people lose their livelihood, they lose their, their, their reputation, they lose their respect, they lose everything? And, and until you recognize that that's what you deserve, you say, well, for which sin? Adultery? Well, in David's case, it was adultery and murder. But, but isn't it true that if you offend at one point, you're guilty of all the law? Isn't that interesting how we have lists, And as humans, we have to have lists. I'm glad that you don't get ostracized from your culture or community for speeding. We'd all be in trouble. Right? I'm glad that there are levels there. But as far as God's concerned, he he said, I connect them all in a chain. Why? Because why would I say this thing is such a horrible sin? I could not forgive that. There is no, there is no forgiveness for that. But this one's okay. I hope you do it and I hope you enjoy it. He said, no, it's all connected. And we understand God has different punishments in the law. But the point is God doesn't want you to break any of his laws. Any of them. Why? Because he's just mean that way. He's just mean. No, we looked at this last week The very idea that God only has laws Because he's mean and he wants to control you Shows what you know about God God says, I made you And I know how to make you happy And to bring joy in your life, to bring fulfillment in your life And if you'll follow me, these are the rules That will keep you in that joy and fulfillment If you say, I don't care, I don't want them Then what you're really saying is I can make myself happy I don't need you, God and the only time we get embarrassed is we commit some major sin or we go too far in our own minds, whatever that measure would be. And then we say, okay, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please, please keep me from, you know what? Every time we sin, we should ask God, God, help me to be so sensitive to what you love and the, your character that any deviation from that bothers me. You, never, you ever been in a car when your teenager's learning to drive? Any deviation bothers you. They turned just a little bit. Whoa, whoa. I mean, there's, I had my foot out there ready to step on the brake. It didn't do any good. But it was any little thing. Now, now my wife can drive. I'll be driving. She's my chauffeur. You know, I'm just kidding. Sometimes she'll drive. I'll, I'll sit there and uh, it doesn't bother me. But sometimes my uh, progeny will be driving and uh, it'll scare the life out of me. I was the scary driver when I was growing up. My brother was the, was the you know, we called him the, the, he had that fatherly way of driving, you know, very safe and 10 and 2 and all that. Very good man of the Lord. Also very boring person. <laughs> no, he was a great driver. And, uh, but you know, the reason why is because we understand the dangers of deviation. When you're going 65 miles an hour, in a 25-mile-an-hour zone, we understand the dangers of that. You know, God feels the same way about our deviations. You know, what would you think about somebody who at night it's raining, they're in a construction zone, a semi is on their right-hand side, a concrete barrier on their left, it's raining, they're going 80 miles an hour, it's at night. And so they pull out their phone, they just want to check with their friends. What would you think about a person like that? You say, "I hope I'm not on the road next to them or anywhere near them." It's dangerous. I'm not going to ask how many of you do that on a regular basis, but it's a dangerous thing to do. You say, "It's okay, I got it." Yeah, you got it until you plow headlong into somebody, right? That's the way God looks at us with sin. I'm fine, God. I've never, I've never gotten hit yet. Well, of course, you're still alive. I guess that proves everything you've done up to this point is safe. No, it just proves that God's been merciful to you. God's been gracious to you. I'll never forget one time. I was driving down the road, and, I, and, and it was this uh, Smith Road up in Temperance. Driving down the road, and I looked down on my phone, and I don't know what I was doing and why I was doing it. I looked up, and there's a car right there. I swerved around her, and uh, I know it was a her. Because I swerved around and went to the light and stopped, and she pulled up next to me. And she just shook her head. And you know what I felt? I felt total shame. Because it was me. It wasn't her. It was nobody else. It was me. And I knew better. Have you ever felt that way about your sin? That's the way you and I ought to ask God to help us feel about all of the sins that he prohibits in Scripture. God, please. God, please. You say, well, I don't want to live like that. Those are nervous people. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's not just about being nervous that you offended someone. It's about being concerned with whether or not God is pleased with your life and whether or not you love him the way he loves you. It's not, God, am I still in your in your family? Do you, am I still your child? No, it's not that fear. It's a fear that God is not enjoying himself because he created you. He's not enjoying himself in you. It's a fear that he's not really pleased with you. Proper attitude number one, my only hope is the mercy of God. Proper attitude number two is verse two, wash me throughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Here's the proper attitude. My sin has made me dirty. David declares what God already knows, and that is, he's dirty. And so he asks the Lord to wash and to cleanse him. Where is he defiled? He's defiled inside. That's why he's asking God to wash him thoroughly, fully, completely. He's defiled on the inside. And he wants three things. He wants God... He wants the purity of God to sweep through him. Number two, he wants God to take away the guilt and the shame. And more than all of that, he wants God to take away the iniquity that brought him to this point. He says, wash me from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. My sin made me dirty. I need a bath. If you don't feel that way about your sin, you don't have the proper attitude towards sin. Your sin has made you dirty, filthy. Well, don't you think that being filthy is kind of relative? Yeah, it is. It's relative to what God thinks. What does God think about this sin? If you don't feel dirty about your sin any longer, guess what? You're getting calloused about it. It doesn't bother you to say those words anymore. It doesn't bother you to look at those images or to listen to that music. It doesn't bother you anymore. Not because you're getting holier. Because you're getting dirtier. You ask a young a young seven, eight-year-old to clean himself, to wash himself. And any self-respecting seven or eight-year-old boy will not do a proper job. Why he has a different st- a different standard of cleanliness than his mother does, and his mother says no 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 no. She finds dirt that that boy has never even thought of. But you know what? That's the proper attitude. Why? Who sets the standard for cleanliness? Not the boy. Aren't you glad that your 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 seven or eight year old boy doesn't set the standard for cleanliness in your home? Who sets it? Mom sets it. And or dad, depending on which, which one is the neat freak. Hey, we don't get to set the standard for cleanliness in our life. You know what we often do? Well, I don't watch stuff as bad as I used to watch. I don't listen to stuff that I could listen to. It's not as bad as what she does. Well, I don't follow those accounts that some people follow. I mean, those are really bad. Guys, listen. Listen. It's good that you see levels of cleanliness. Thank God for that, that you can see that. But who determines what is actually clean and holy and pure? It's not you and I. It's not me. It's God. We've got to say, Lord, would you put what I'm watching, what I'm listening to, what I'm thinking, my attitude towards my spouse and my kids and my parents... My attitude towards my boss, towards my fellow employees. God, would you put my desires and ambitions under your microscope? scope? What do you think, God, about me? Am I clean in your sight? Proper attitude is this. My sin has made me dirty. And if you don't think you know, if you have a, a, a disconnect in your mind, you know it's sin, but you don't think you're dirty, that shows what you think about God. You know that God said it's sin, but it doesn't make you feel dirty anymore. That is a problem between you and the Lord. Proper attitude number three is in verse four, uh, in verse number three. He said, "For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me." Proper attitude number three: I clearly see that I stepped over the line. That's what transgression is, is to, to go beyond. Right? We hear a lot about trans today. What is that? It's movement movement. It's moving from one place to the other. When I transgress, I have gone beyond the line that God has established. I'm clearly over the line. Remember when you were kids and they say, step across this line. We used to play, um, uh, not hide and go seek, but uh, what's the, the game where you have a clear line, people on that side, people on this side. No, what is it called? You hide the flag capture the flag there it is and when i was a kid we'd play capture the flag hey, thank you for helping me again i asked the puppets they couldn't remember it either they were before the service but but the line and i said okay so we used to dance back and forth when we were little we were we weren't brave enough to actually go behind the line and find the flag so we just like cross over the line and come back cross over the line and come back and inevitably you'd cross over the line somebody would tag you and say no i wasn't over the line I was. I wasn't over the line. I still had one foot over here. A lot of Christians play that, don't they? They're at the line. They're 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 not intending to go and say and be like an adulterer or whatever, but they're just like on that line constantly. They're like, I didn't step over the line. I didn't. And then guess what? If you really did, and everybody knows you did, what's the first thing you do? She was over the line too. I I, I saw her. She was over. You and you, you spend the whole game arguing with one another. You know what? The proper attitude towards sin is this. I stepped over the line. I transgressed. God said, thou shalt not. And I went over the line. Do you, do you believe that you went over the line? It's not my line as a pastor or as a church or another Christian's line. It's God's line. Did you step over God's line or not? If you did, the proper attitude is to say, I stepped over your line, God. Look, look what he says. I acknowledge my, my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I can't get my sin out of my head because it really, really weighs on me. He sees his, his, his offenses for what they are. They're offenses committed against his God and guys. What a blessing, because this is when the light starts piercing the darkness of the heart. Aren't you tired of darkness? Aren't you tired of the weight and the gloom of sin? When you will admit that you are wrong, then the light of the truth of God's word starts to pierce through the soul, and you start feeling something you cannot get anywhere else, and that is the life of God himself starting to fill up your heart once again. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. What a blessing to feel clean again. Wouldn't you like to feel clean again? Wouldn't you like to have a, a heart that is, is washed and is full of light? Wouldn't you like to have that? You say, it's too late for me. No, it's not. No, it's not. If God could forgive David in an instant, before the blood of Jesus Christ was even shed. Hey, listen, the blood of Christ can cleanse you from all sin. You can get right with God, but you have to recognize that you clearly stepped over the line. Lastly, tonight, verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Before he had lied to Joab, before he killed Uriah, before he took Bathsheba, any of those things, David had already fallen into sin. Why? Because on that rooftop, he dismissed God. God was there and said, I don't need you. Here's the last attitude. I agree with God about my sin. The proper attitude towards sin is this. I agree with God about my sin. You know what he's concerned about? He's concerned that God is justified. I don't care what you have to do with me, Lord. I I want your words to be clear, that thou mightest be clear when thou judgest. I want it to be very clear what the judgment is here, Lord. I I want you to be justified. I, I want when your words are heard, I don't want any ambiguity. I don't want any shadows. I don't want any shades. I don't want any levels or layers. I want it to be very clear that you're right and I'm wrong. Have you, have you reached that place with sin? If you, if you can get to that place, there's help for you. When you care more about God being justified than yourself, you know what often happens? We get put on, called on the carpet for something? Well, yeah, but let me explain. You know sound like Ricky, right? From "I love Lucy. Let me explain. I've got reasons for why. It's not, it's not what it looks like. You're trying to justify yourself. The more you justify yourself, the less room in your heart there is for justifying God. What nobody else saw, God saw. And David is now confessing that I sinned in your sight. He's, here's, the, here's the point. Turning from sin doesn't start with stopping the action. It starts with agreeing with God about the sin. Why? Because you'll stop the action. You'll stop the sin if somebody finds out about it. You'll stop the sin. How do you know that? If you have to hide your phone under the pillow when your parents come in, yeah, that's a sin. If you have to hide your phone when your spouse comes in the room, you're probably doing something you shouldn't be doing. Even if it's not the worst possible sin, why are you hiding it? All right? So if you have to drive to another location where no one knows you so that you can do what you want to do, it's sin. Right? So the proper attitude is not, well, I need to stop doing that. Well, yeah, but you're only stopping that because they came in the room. And you're trying to figure out, man, I can't do it in this room anymore. I'm going to have to do it in another room. They found us out. No, that's that's not where the the proper attitude starts. Turning from sin starts when when I agree with God in what he says about my sin and about my nature and about my motives and my desires. When I say, Lord, I agree with you, you're right. Have you ever had someone that was pleading with you, saying, how can you do this? You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to get you to think like he or she thinks. They they want you to change how you think. And guys, I'm telling you, the only way for you to stop stop that sin in your life is to start caring about how God thinks about that sin. Should you stop the sin? Well, yeah, you should stop the sin. You should, should have never started it. But just stopping it because someone walks in on you is not the same thing as agreeing with God about your sin. If you're hiding it, You haven't repented. Lord, you are right about me. Lord, you are right about my eyes and my hands and my thoughts. You are right about my desires, the lusts of my flesh. God, you're right about them. And I don't want to do it anymore. I want to please you. I want to be like you, God. I want your actions to govern my life. I want the life of Christ to live through me. We will fall... When we get, we begin to doubt the word of the Lord, David here is finally dismissing those doubts about God's word. What God said about his sin, he's not marginalizing it or covering it or sweeping it under the rug. He's saying what God says, I acknowledge that's true. My doubts about whether God is right are gone. I no longer have doubts about who's right and who's wrong. God, you're right. And I'm wrong. What a a cleansing thing it is for the soul. What a blessing. Christian, you don't have to struggle for the rest of your life with this sin. You can get right with God. You've got to recognize your only hope is His mercy. You've got to recognize that your sin has made you dirty. You've got to clearly see that you've stepped over the line and agree with God about your sin. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight.